0: touchdown. Fell into the middle of that
1: line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. he hit 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 immediately he really got the handoff, you know and the q Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you.
3: From the DOJ Digital Studio. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet1. And we are reviewing the Jets 2020 offseason with the founder of the Jets blog and, of course, the godfather of Jets podcasting. He does the great show. There's always next year here on the Play Like a Jet feed with his buddies Travis Milton and Josh Conrad, Mr. Brian Bassett. Yesterday, we talked all about Brian's thoughts on what the Jets did in the draft. So to Today we're gonna to talk about free agency. When we look at the offensive line, we talked about the additions of Cam Clark and obviously Makai Becton in the draft. In free agency, there were guys that were added, but the question becomes did they do enough To fix this unit To help Sam Darnold And to a somewhat lesser extent Le'Veon Bell So at tackle They brought in Becton We know he's going to have His rookie struggles But then at the other spot You've got Adoga We know what we saw Out of him last year Some flashes Some inconsistencies And then of course You've got George Fant Who's the odds-on favorite To win the spot Real roll of the dice He had some upside He showed some talent But He's been very erratic when he's had the opportunity in Seattle. Connor McGovern, we all agree, legitimate starting center, probably above average, slightly, but still a huge improvement over what they've had the last couple of years. And then at the guard spots, Alex Lewis comes back. He was okay last year, but he's hurt all the time. And then, of course, you've got the competition between Brian Winters, who's also hurt all the time, and Greg Van Roten, who they bring in here from Carolina. So what do you think? Did they do enough to fix this opportunity? offensive line
1: what I would say is I think they've done they did as much as they realistically could to address the offensive line in a single year right like it wasn't just a question of get one guy and that will fix this unit it was a question of this entire unit is broken right what do we do like where do we even start and so so the fact that they were able to now were there bigger names out there, were there players that I would have preferred them get like a Jack Conklin or, you know, whoever, like, yes, of course, of course there were, but you're not going to get every player you want. And so to be able to come away, you know, with, with a player like Fant, you know, okay. Like he's a, maybe a left tackle, maybe a right tackle, like, okay. They paid him a lot of money. um, But, Right, clear. Clear. Once they took, it was clear their intent was: okay, we're going to take this guy. Worst case scenario, he's our left tackle. Best case scenario, we draft a first round tackle, and he's our right tackle. Um, and so I think, and that's basically what's played out. So, so I like the fact that they, you know, that they address those positions. I like the fact that they addressed the interior of the line, which was lacking. Connor McGovern, not you know, one of the best players or best linemen in in the league, but certainly in terms of run blocking, like one of the better run blocking centers in the league. So he, you know, he comes in and he provides, you know, that's one of the things Travis talks about a lot on, on our podcast is that you have to have that from that central point out, like, yes, tackle is, is valuable, but just as valuable as tackle can be center because that's, you know, the basis for things sets things off and can be a point of weakness if you have a bad one. And as we, and as we've seen, you know, we were spoiled with a player like Nick Mangold for so long. You see what like, what life is like when you don't have a all pro or pro bowl level center. Um, and so while Connor McGovern is not Nick Mangold, like he's also not Ryan Khalil. So Um, so I like what they're doing in terms of, you know, going back. They needed to get rid of a player like Kelvin Beecham, who was just, you know, mailing it in as best I could say. Um, but then, and then, right. They continue to address the position, you know, Tom Compton, um, being rotten, as you talked about. So they did a lot in terms of, um, giving themselves more opportunities. And then some of the players who were in Adoga and places like that, players like that, it really allows them the opportunity to figure out and kind of let camp play out and say, okay, who are the best players that we have and let those players, you know, take the team forward. So, so I do like a lot of what they did. Um, Certainly, you know, not all the greatest names, as I said, but, you know, a pretty competent group and something you can build off and will be sustaining for the next two to three years. And, and, like, that's one of the biggest problems and I think one of the biggest reasons why we haven't seen the sort of, the, the sort of progression that we've wanted from a player uh, like Sam Darnold. I think the fact that he's been running for his life and the only time that he's been successful is when he's been booting out or rolling out. Like, that's, that's basically because it's like he's not getting destroyed, right? Like, the fact that he doesn't have to have players, you know, hanging off his hip pockets the entire, entirety of the game now – it's still going to happen, but it's just not going to happen with the regularity, which it was you know, early in the season.
3: Let's talk a little bit about the wide receiver position, because in addition to offensive line, we knew that wide receiver was a huge need for the Jets. Coming into the 2020 season Mm -hmm. Quincy Nunwa was somebody that we knew Couldn't be counted on We all love Quincy But we knew that his health Mm -hmm. has been a big issue And now we know that he's not going to play in 2020 Robbie Anderson goes to Carolina And he goes for a contract that doesn't seem all that outlandish In his place comes in Perriman, and then, of course, they go out and they draft Denzel Mims. Do you think that the Jets did enough there to surround Sam Darnold with the weapons he's going to need? Would you have gone the extra mile to pay Robbie Anderson?
1: I I kind of was in the mindset that like, I was not really that enthused about um, paying Robbie Anderson. I, I have no problems with Robbie Anderson. I mean, I know he's He's had his, you know, his, some kind of issues in terms of run-ins with the law and stuff. And so while that might've factored in, he seemed to, you know, mature over the last eight, you know, 18 months, couple of years. And so that's been good. Um, that said, uh, and, and I think he really is a player who wanted to be in New York and was, you know, trying to make good faith effort to, to stay in New York. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of what happened when you kind of, when I look at the Robbie Anderson situation, what I look at is his value was unfortunately nuked by, ha by um, DeAndre Hopkins and Stefan Diggs. Like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins moving to Arizona and Stefan Diggs moving to Buffalo really took, like, it, it basically set everyone back who was trying to, you know, wide receivers who were at the near the top of the list in free agency, because that took two major kind of competitors for, for talent off the board, you know, Buffalo got their guy, their kind of alpha receiver in, in Stefan Uh Arizona kind of put strength on strength. You know, they already have Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk there and, you know, other players, Andy Isabella. So that, so it really took a lot of the air out of the sales for someone who's going into free agency. Um, so, it's unfortunate for Robbie Anderson. And I mean, he ends up in a very muddy situation. I mean, you've got DJ Moore, who's emerging as one of the best receivers in the league. You've got Christian McCaffrey, who's going to get a ton of targets. You've got, ian thomas is kind of the emerging tight end uh, and then uh, you know of course curtis samuel too so like there's a lot of competition for targets so the fact that he landed there and not in a better place like oakland or you know wherever where there was more targets available um it kind of shows that there was a pretty weak market for a player like anderson and the jets kind of wanted to see what would happen there which they did and you know, they kind of got proved right. And I think the idea was they wanted to move on and they wanted to move on with a player that is much more of a prototypical prototypical X receiver. And you see that in Denzel Mims. Um, Jamison Crowder uh, is a good player. I think you know, he proved last year that out of the slot, you can be productive in, in kind of high volume situations. Adam Gase loves to throw the ball Um, in his offense to um, kind of slot receivers. We saw that uh, in, you know, with Jarvis Landry in Miami. Um, We saw that some, you know, kind of in spurts with, with Jamison Crowder last year. I think, you know, a player like Denzel Mims probably will start on the boundary, but could certainly, as they become more acclimated to the league, be moved around. Um, you, You talk about Brashad Perriman. He's kind of the cheaper replacement version of Robbie Anderson so they you know they kind of take a flyer on a player like Perriman who will be a stretch player I mean you know he basically has a you have, what do you have like a 4.340 when he came you know through the combine and you know which is like a 99th percentile speed score so Brashad Paraman is clearly the new Robbie Anderson role. I don't think he'll get the same volume that Robbie Anderson got because there's going to be more competition for targets. You also forget like Chris Herndon is kind of hanging around this team somewhere. Um, They had some production out of their tight end, uh, you know, last year from other players. So like, it's a good group. It's certainly the start of something that they can build on, but yes, in the next couple of years, they're going to need to continue to find talented players because Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman, they're not, you know, they're not going to be around this team for in in three years' time. Like they, they should probably shouldn't even be here in two years' time. They, we need to be bringing in younger, talented, talented players. And when you look at the 2021 draft class, like you know, some of the wide receivers that came out this year, we had a really interesting group of receivers, Scott. But um, you know, for as good as this group was in 2020, like the 2020 2021 receivers are already like just brimming with top end talent. So so that's a player. I don't think you're you could come you could get an alpha receiver if you really wanted to, but there's going to be lots of value kind of in the middle rounds of in terms of wide receivers next year for sure.
3: You talked about young talent needing to add a lot of it. What do you think of the running back moves? Because we talked mm. about P Ryan and bringing him in, but he's not really a speed back. So you figure maybe yeah. they go out and get one in free agency. Instead, they get 37-year-old Frank Gore. Was that strange to you?
1: <laughs> it was very strange to me. Like I have no idea what Adam Gase is doing. Like the, the, He has, for, for as long as I can remember, and as long as he's been an offensive coordinator or you know, whatever, In position of authority like I just I have tried to study I I probably need to study more but I've tried to study what he values in running back and I just can't figure it out like the fact that he preferred a guy like Tevin Coleman over Le'Veon Bell is just mind-boggling to me like I don't get it I just don't get it like I I don't understand and I, I guess it's that like stretch you know stretch uh scheme versus you know zone scheme and like you know th- those kinds of things like it's it's it has something to do with his scheme and the kind of back that he wants um, that's going to do what he wants them to do and kind of fit in that system but for whatever reason like you look at the players that he's just overlooked Kenyon drake and you know on and on like he seems to gravitate towards these players that are good pass catchers out of the backfield, but slow. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, or like he, he likes those satellite backs who can catch, catch the ball, but aren't necessarily fast. Or he likes those like one cut burst, like, but like just no lateral ability whatsoever. Like, so I don't know. I, I, I find him very confusing Scott in terms of what he does. Um, Lemichael Pirine like fine player like he's probably a worse version of Bilal Powell like uh, like that's kind of who he is that's his that's his, the ceiling of, of I think what he's capable of but like to basically overlook and just underutilize a player like Le'Veon Bell is just ludicrous to me like whether you like him or not, like the the thing about him is like, he can't get past his own biases or his own preferences, Scott. And so as a result, he just does the thing that he wants to do. And one of the things is like, he just does not want to give Le'Veon Bell 20 to 30 touches a game routinely. Like that's just not what he's about. And I I just doesn't make any sense to
3: Play like a Jet Play like a Jet Let's talk a little defense, Brian You and I have been Jets fans for a really long time So we remember the glory years of the sack exchange mm. We remember yes. John Abraham
1: Remember Fear?
3: Mm, indeed
1: Ferguson
3: Ellis, uh, Abraham Ellis
1: and Robertson? Yeah,
3: yeah, Robertson. it was Robertson Yeah,
1: yeah
0: I've always feared having
3: to talk about Dwayne Robertson again, so I guess it kind of fits the FEAR acronym. But here's let me a, ask you about the edge rusher position because they had the opportunity to address it in a bigger way yeah. by maybe going out and getting Dante Fowler, maybe Jadavian Clowney, something like that. Instead, they bring back Jordan Jenkins on a cheap one-year deal. They get Zaniga in the third round. Do you think they did enough at edge rusher? Were you surprised they didn't try and make a big splash there?
1: Scott, can i going to let you in know, on a little secret. Okay, here, here's the deal there, there are times in your life where things happen and you, like you hope for something so much to happen and then it doesn't happen. And like part of your heart just dies (laughs) and just never recovers and you can never love again or like whatever, like that is me and the New York jets and edge rushers. Like they have to your point, the last great edge rusher they had was John Abraham in 2005, and he was injured in 2005? I can't remember. Like, it's been a long time. I mean, Calvin Pace was supposed to be that player. He was a hell of an edge setter and a hell of a player. And he had a couple of years where he, you know, snuck up into close to or double-digit sacks. But that was just not his game. Um, And I love Calvin Pace. Like love that guy. Um, But I just... Can't try and love the Jets falling in love with an edge rusher again. Until it happens, I'm just not gonna put my heart out there anymore, Scott. I can't do it. Can't do it. Not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I know Dante Fowler's great. I know, you know, there's all these players, the guy in the Jags who you love. Like I'm just it's just dead to me. It's just like just address offensive line, go get your middle linebacker again, go, you know, whatever, go chase bad cornerbacks or whatever, overpaid cornerbacks, like. Do whatever you're gonna do because I know you're never gonna address edge rusher or linebacker in a meaningful way. It's never gonna happen. So, so that's that's where I am. Um, uh, but yeah, like I, I don't know. I think it's it comes down to the type of coaches that the Jets have brought in, and when you look back to, I mean basically Mangini like think about it so you've got Mangini Ryan Bowles Gase and I mean it's really Greg Williams you know when it comes to the defense um all of those people either have very like strong ties to systems or uh very much believe that like like that 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 system is more valuable than like some of the players and in some cases it's worked out pretty well um but at, at the end of the day like it's about the scheme and like rex ryan would not shut up about the fact that he thought the way to get to the quarterback he's he would he would say this so many times in press conferences when i would go to training camp or whatever and he would say like you know what like the ball's right here the you know the the, the defensive tackles right here, like, you know, kind of put men, kind of put two fingers close to each other. Like he believed that he could just will his way to the quarterback through double teams because that's just who he is. I, I think for as deluded as Rex Ryan is as a person, I think Greg Williams is 10 times as deluded. Um, and because he lines up his freaking safeties on the moon, so, 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 so my point is like, I just think it, it comes down to the, the people and the scheme, Todd Bowles, similarly, you know, thought he could manufacture, he loved doing those kind of stacking situations where he would put two players, you know, through a gap, like he was more scheme um, specific, you know, Mangini just basically, you know, stole the playbook from Bill Belichick and just set the edge and, you know, kind of let the system kind of play itself out. So, it's part of the coaches. This has been such a long answer. I'm sorry. It's part of the coaches, but it's also um, – it's mostly the coaches. It's mostly the coaches, and, and it's certainly been a lack of talent, but it's also the coaches do not value that particular talent, or at least the coaches that the Jets have had since 2006.
3: Let's talk a little cornerback, Brian, because that's been a worrisome spot. Really ever since Darrell Revis left the first time Because when he came back the second time He wasn't very good so it didn't solve the problem And they've had issues there ever since he was traded to Tampa There's been a revolving door And now it seems like the idea is to get a bunch of guys That all have potential to do something And hope that one or two of them break out So we talked about Bless Austin We talked about Bryce Hall we know that they went out and got Pierre Desir, somebody that I know that you really liked when he was drafted, and he yeah. was somebody that you had stumped for the Jets to potentially get in the mid rounds. So it's interesting that they end up getting him now. You talk a little bit about them having Nate Hairston here still. So there's a lot of guys from that secondary. From Indianapolis in addition to Quincy Wilson There's three guys in the cornerback room That came here from Indianapolis Arthur Millette is here again He re-signed so what do you think Did they do enough to fix that cornerback Position are you happy with this year As the lead cornerback
1: No (laughs) (laughs) Never right it's just It's kind of like Nick Mangold And Brickshaw Ferguson right like You just get spoiled By some of those players And like it you just you're never going to get back to to you know what that those kind of those days but you're always chasing that dragon and so I so I very much feel like the Jets offensive line and the Jets cornerback play can never be good enough for me um unless you know it's Darrell Revis the second and Antonio Cromartie the second or whatever right like it's just it's not going to happen um that said in the modern NFL, like you just you have to pick places where you're going to be weak. You can't always be strong everywhere, and if you are, it's fleeting. Um, and kind of the way the league is is set up now, you know, it's set up to prioritize the offensive side of the ball. So, uh, you know, so so I guess what I would say is uh, y- that yeah, there's lots of work to be done there. Um, are these competent kind of hold the fort players and, and, and are, are they hold the fort players and are you getting them at value? Um, and they're going to make, you know, they're not going to be perfect, but they're going to make contributions. And so in that answer, I would say, yes, like they've, they've checked the box in terms of competent play. Um, you know, whereas two years ago, you know, when they had, um, when they had, uh, um, how oh, dang it! How can I? His name? Like, basically, my brain has forgotten the the guy who was on that terrible contract. Uh, Tremaine Johnson. Thank you. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> uh you know, when you're paying that guy, whatever it was, however many millions of dollars a year to do nothing or just be a you know, uh, you know, a human turnstile, like, you know, I I would rather them have this than what they did where they were overspending at the position and getting terrible results. Um, I, I, I prefer what this is. Like they have enough people there and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll try and kind of work it out and figure it out. And the best players will kind of bubble to the top and Greg Williams will play those guys. And, you know, but honestly, like Greg Williams has already shown Um, you know, he has a tendency to like put players in the doghouse and then take them out of the doghouse. And so, you know, that could continue. And, and, and I, I fully expect that, you know, could happen. So, so we're in a situation where, you know, it's fine for what they have, but yeah, they, they've, um, deferred maintenance. I'm sure you're familiar with that term, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you defer maintenance on your car, you're going to pay for it later. So the Jets have essentially deferred maintenance at the cornerback position and they're going to pay for it later. They're either going to pay for it and giving up, you know, massive yards to the air, which we've been seeing them do for, for years already now. So like no change there, or, um, you know, you do that, that maintenance and you get ahead of it. So the Jets are in the process of, um, paying off that deferred maintenance, but they're still 18 months, two years out from having, you know, a even having the talent
3: to have a top 10 uh, secondary. How do you think Joe Douglas did overall in his first off season? What grade would you give him? I really like what, what
1: Douglas has done. Um, I, I think what I like best about it is that he didn't chase the big flashy moves. He had ideas of the players he wanted. He assigned values to those players. He got some of them, and then, you know, he let some situations play out that should have played out. Robbie Anderson's a great situation. of that. Was at. So, um, so I think, and then in terms of the draft uh, you know, he, he did a good job, a solid job through the draft. No one is ever going to pick. If you have seven picks and seven rounds, no one's ever going to pick seven full-time starters in a draft. It just does not work like that. So so based on the you know kind of if you weight the position the 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 picks at the earlier at uh, the earlier spots more than the later spots and the fact that he traded back and then he was patient and then he got a guy like Bryce Hall as far back as he did and he got a guy like Denzel Mims as far back as he did like I'm really impressed so I would say like I, I'm not going to give him an A plus but I would say definitely a minus like I really I want to see more um, but there was nothing there. That was like Anthony Schlegel level reaches or, um, you know, or just, you know, Dexter McDougal level reaches or those kind of things. It was like solid picks, let situations, whether in the draft or free agency, come to him. And we saw that a little bit when he took over, you know, kind of after the draft last year. And then kind of played through camp and brought in a couple of veterans and, you know, made some moves. But it was really hard to tell until now we've had kind of one full year uh, at that. And so I'm I'm pleased with what I've seen. Um, and I think he's trying to build the team the right way. He knows that he has to have a patient approach and he has the backing of um You know of the ownership so that's good and so he's taking his time to do this the right way instead of you know just making a lot of splashy moves so so I liked it what did you think Scott
3: I thought he did a pretty good job I realized that Rome wasn't built in a day so what it seemed like he was doing was he was trying to get as many keeper pieces in the draft Mm -hmm. as he could and in free agency he was getting a lot of hold the fort type players the only one that he really made a long-term commitment to is Connor McGovern, who's relatively young and plays a position that they know that they can use him at. Plus, he can shift from center to guard. Everybody else is more or less on a glorified one-year deal. So I think that a lot of Jets fans don't want to hear the word rebuild, but that's more or less what we're watching with Joe Douglas here. He's just trying to do it in a way that will help the team in the short run and not hurt them in the long run. So I think given what... He's trying to do and what he has to work with He did about the best job that he could But then that leads us, of course To his head coach, Adam Gase And his quarterback, Sam Darnold Now that we know what this roster Is more or less going to look like It might get tinkered with a little bit here Mm -hmm. and there But for the most part, all the key pieces are in place What are your expectations for Sam Darnold? What do you think is reasonable to expect from him In year three? And how tied into Adam Gase Is Darnold's success? In other words, if Darnold doesn't take that next step forward, is Gase out of here? Is there a scenario where Darnold doesn't break through this year and Gase comes back? Or do you think it's possible that Gase could come back regardless?
1: Great questions. Um, I, I think let, let's let's kind of – well, let, let's start with Darnold. So I think um, Sam Darnold now going into his third year in the NFL is 23 years old. He's 23 years old. Like, he is so young. Like, I'm not saying he's Drew Brees or Tom Brady or whatever, but, you know, quarterbacks don't peak until they're in their late 20s generally. So he has so much time available to him. And I I think most Jets fans like him. I think, you know, the closest comparison we can make to Sam Darnold fairly or unfairly, is Mark Sanchez. Um, I never saw Mark Sanchez make some of the throws that Sam Darnold is routinely making. And maybe that's unfair because Sam Darnold had some injuries and stuff and that that really derailed him. But, uh, you know, you see those sparks from Sam Darnold and you just say, okay, like, it's there. It's definitely there. He's got that capability Can he, right, can he over time incrementally build and build and build? And so, you know, when you have a player who came in as young as he did, um, who played decently, uh, you know, in his first year, obviously had some, you know, weirdness in in year two, um, but goes into year three with, you know, the same head coach, same system. um, Like I'm expecting that player to start to take flight. Now, what does that mean in terms of, um, you know, like, uh, you know, efficiency and, and things like that? Darnold was kind of at the back of the pack last year. He was, you know, a, you know, in the 20s, let's say, in terms of efficiency and numbers and things like that. I would hope that this year he would start to move into that, you know, teens or, you know, high high teen like high double digit. That's not the way to say it. Like in the 10, in the 10 ish range, like, you know, that he would kind of start putting efficiency numbers together when you go to football outsiders or whatever, and you look at the quarterbacks, like I would hope he's starting to press that top 10. I don't expect him to be uh, Lamar Jackson. I don't expect him to be Patrick Mahomes. I don't expect him to be Aaron Rodgers. I don't expect him to be Peyton Manning. I just, I need him to be a solid player, who can, you know, kind of move the chains and kind of, you know, take advantage of the opportunities and the upgrades at his position. And honestly, if he can do that, that's going to be enough to get this team more wins than they got last year. And, you know, start to push them into the playoff hunt, especially with the way that, um, you know, the AFC East is playing out. So so I think Sam and, and Adam Gase, there is a tie there. And I think the fact that the team had some success late in the season uh, only helps someone like Adam Gase. Like if the t- if the, if the season had gone on as the way it had, as it was going, kind of in early October, um, you know, we would be having a much different store, uh, much different conversation. Um, that said, uh, I certainly think you know the leash will start getting shorter on on someone like Adam Gase if now that the pieces have been put in place, you know, he's, he's had the opportunity to shop for his groceries. If he doesn't start putting it together and start, um, you know, getting into the playoffs and stuff like that, I I could certainly see the hook on someone like Adam Gase. Um, the problem is, you know, then it becomes, okay, who do you get? Uh, but, but right. There's an opportunity here now, now that Brady's out of the East, like, you have to use this opportunity to your advantage to hit the floor, you know, hit the gas, put the gas to the floor. So I hope that the Jets can start to make some some uh, improvements here. I think Darn was primed for that. But right, I still think we're talking, you know, like he it's not a shoe, he's not shoein' for the playoffs, and the, the Jets are not shoe-ins for the playoffs next year by by a long stretch. But you have to start to see the promise of that this year. Otherwise, it'll start to unwind pretty quickly. Certainly for Adam Gase, and you know maybe even for Darnold too, if if he can't start to put together the right kind of numbers. Um, did that answer your question? There's a lot of questions in there.
3: <laughs> I think it did. Well, let's hope okay. that our questions all get answered in a positive way once the season yes. starts in a couple of months. Brian Bassett, the host of There's Always Next Year here on Play Like a Jet. Thanks so much for coming on. I always tell people there's a reason why they call you the godfather, and it's because you were the first... And You were the innovator. None of us would be doing this if it wasn't for you, so I'm really glad that you're continuing to voice your opinions on this dumpster fire of a franchise (laughs) over the last 10 years. I'm kidding. Things are looking up. It's just been rough for the last decade, as you could tell by listening to Connor and Joe do Badlands. What are you guys planning to do once you come back for the upcoming season? you have any ideas, any special games that you like to play because I know that in addition to talking jets, you guys will do some things like talk about the Golden Girls and play little quiz games mm,
1: yeah I, I you know honestly, um, I was at the beach last week and I just allowed my brain to like reset, which was great but no i haven't I haven't thought of anything so if people have suggestions, please. Tweet me at Brian underscore Bassett, uh, two S's, two T's. Um, I would be happy to hear them and happy to take them under advisement. Um, yeah, we always come up with something. We find ways to make ourselves laugh, but yeah, we're, I'll start getting in the lab with those guys. And we'll, we'll figure out some, some ideas for the season. Yeah, it's it's been so much fun. And I appreciate you kind of providing the platform for us to just kind of plug in our mics and talk and then you take care of the rest of it. And it's been fun, especially as life has only gotten more hectic for me, more demands on my time when I was, you know, a single guy with no friends who had just moved to Boston. Like it was very easy to you know, throw my life into blogging. Um, but you know, (laughs) that was (laughs) 16 years ago. So a lot has changed. So I appreciate, thank you for, thank you for, um, taking the torch for yourself and Joe and all Connor and all the great people that are out there doing such good work around the jets. Um, it's been awesome to see that torch get taken and, you know, ignite, a whole, a whole group of uh, of other fans and and younger generations. So has been Thank you for thank you for saying that. I appreciate it.
3: Those are the kindest words anybody's ever said. Make sure that oh, you are. I'm fun- <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that you're following Brian on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. If you haven't given the show a five star review yet on iTunes, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show. If you like what we're doing, doesn't take you much time. Doesn't cost you any money. But it does a lot to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.